0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy The Breakthrough Breakdown.
1: Hey, welcome to The Breakthrough Breakdown. This is Jason.
2: And Kate. Derek. Megan.
1: All right, so we are in week seven. Of passport to Galatia, and last week we actually had Gary Burge on, and we're gonna have a special episode with Gary on to answer the questions that we didn't get to. Um, now we're we're kind of following up a little bit in this end of Galatians chapter two, where we talked last week about this whole idea of conflict, and the reality is is we're gonna have conflict. The apostle Peter and the apostle Paul are gonna have it. I guarantee you we are. Uh, and and so last week we talked about these two ideas of this funnel versus filter. And Megan, thank you for showing the disgusting filter. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah, that was the... <laughs> um, how would you guys say, I mean, when you funnel, I mean, I think some people, some people funnel differently. I think it's a very human thing. But like for me, I have no problem entering into conflict when I'm in it. I just have to be careful of what I say. Now, Megan, I know you, where are you in that? Like yeah, how do each of you handle conflict? My funneling usually
0: comes by myself. In the midst of conflict, I'm pretty quiet, and then I'll go somewhere and process and verbally spill everything, and it's not very kind usually, or it's really frustrating things come out, and then I eventually work through it and filter it to the point that I can go back to a person and have a filtered conversation because usually in the moment, I'm not even ready to funnel. I'm just so, shut down.
1: And, that, and So in some ways, that actually looks like, oh, they handle conflict really well, but internally... But I'm not. Yeah, you're just being quiet about it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not. How about you, Derek? Are you are are you a in the moment conflict guy? What do you? How do you handle it?
3: Yeah, so I don't ever have any problem with conflict. It's never. I don't shy away from it. It doesn't scare me. Uh, but what I do, no matter how big or small, I'm always having to filter because otherwise if I'd go full blast and it wouldn't be fun for people. So I'm always trying to to filter in the moment. And sometimes it works and sometimes it does not work. Sometimes you think your filter is better than it is? No, I always know when it fails, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't try to pretend, but like, yeah, in college, like I was the RA, mm-hmm. they called to handle the conflict, like, cause I wasn't afraid of confrontation and it never was a, a thing that, I wasn't the peacekeeper like Megan was, I was the hammer. And so, uh, especially in the career field I'm in now, I can't be that all the time. So yeah. to me, it's all about trying to find what are ways to to turn it healthy? What are ways to to not be so aggressive with it? How about so. you, Kate?
2: I grew up having very little healthy coping skills for my emotions and feelings. And so a lot of my conflict is driven by the feelings first, where mm. I don't really have that pause button within me that says, hmm, are you actually feeling this? And I am a kind of person that feels feelings very strongly, the emotional part of it, where um, even if I'm just – if I really take a second and I look at it and I think, oh, I guess I'm not really that angry about it. Maybe I was just being insecure, and it felt like anger. I have to sift through this cloud of emotions to figure out how I actually feel. So conflict sometimes for me, I funnel right away and I go blah, 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 blah. And I spit out all of these emotions, how I feel. And then afterwards I go, oh, well, actually I don't really feel that way. And then the person is left (laughs) going, are you okay? (laughs) So I have to learn as I age and mature to filter that first, have that pause button that really sifts through the emotional part of it and say, okay, what is the facts? And so I'm getting
1: better. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's I think it's always being 46. I can look at my life and there are definitely stages in my life where I think I funneled more. I try to filter more now, but every once in a while it comes out. When I was younger, my big issue was I'm a verbal processor and I'm very quick witted. And I learned to defend myself because I was always the tiny kid in school. I learned to defend myself by tearing people down with my words. And I remember that I, had a, I had a conscious moment with Jesus. When Jesus was like, yeah, you can keep on tearing people down with your words in the moment. Because I could. I mean, I could point out a weak spot very quickly in a person's personality, in their home life, whatever it was. And that's how I'd defend. And then I'd usually get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had a kid who he kept on bullying me and he'd beat me up. And then I'd antagonize him. And then he'd beat me up again. Mm-hmm. And people were like, they'd be like, why is he beating up? I don't know. It's because
3: I was my words were not as strong as my fists, <laughs> but I but I am a huge proponent of healthy conflict. Like yeah. I, I really do think it is it is super valuable. I think if everyone just continues to uh, ignore it or move on for or like try to move on from it, I don't think it truly becomes healed. Yeah. I think sometimes you have to do wage through that. I was uh, for one of my classes I had to take. There was a TED talk, and her name was Margaret Hefferman. Let's put that in the show notes, Margaret. Margaret Hefferman. Hefferman. And I have no idea anything about her, but this one video was (laughs) really good. But basically, her argument was is that truth on its own is not enough to motivate people. That you can know what is right and you can know what is wrong, but that doesn't mean it's going to motivate you to change. And that conflict, is a healthy conflict, is a good way of doing that, of like having that disagreement so it does motivate you to want to make a change in your life. That if you truly listen to people, uh, and there might be some conflict there, but if you truly come to an understanding with that person, it is more likely to lead to change than just knowing, having knowledge or knowing the truth behind it. Yeah.
2: Well, that makes sense. You know, if if you're going and just doing the same thing you always do, and this is the way I think, without having someone else's conflicting perspective to come in that causes a conflict. Would I ever deviate from what I know and what's comfortable? What yeah. I, what I This is all I know. Until somebody else brings in that other perspective, I probably wouldn't deviate from that.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that actually kind of goes into what this next part of Paul's argument. So in Galatians, the way it kind of plays out is this, is Paul has this confrontation, and it makes it sound like it all happens at once. Now, maybe it did. Okay. Galatians 2, Paul tells the story. All I know is that, you know, usually history is written by the victor. <laughs> We don't get Peter's perspective on this at all. And I'm not saying that Paul exaggerates. I think it's still God's word. I think it's still inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I almost get the sense of, it talks about in that first verse that Paul gets, he's upset with Peter. He says the words, I opposed him to his face in public. He then even chastises Peter in front of public. And then we have this really nice, beautiful, eloquent statement about there's, you know, that we're now all crucified in Christ. And, and I, I look at that and I remember, As I was studying for this reading, that going, I wonder if that's actually how that played out. If maybe Paul needed time to cool off, or maybe Paul is so in touch with the Holy Spirit, he reacted poorly and then immediately caught himself and was able to regain his composure. That's
3: possible. Very well could be. Um, See, and I even, when I read it, I actually read it differently. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't paint uh, Paul in any better of a light, but I always read it as like, this is his point he's trying to make. Like he's like he's almost going against what he knows is right in order to prove a point. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's right, because that's definitely not what I would consider healthy conflict yeah. resolution. But that's how I always read it is it's like, hey, Peter's this 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 leader, he's he's a figurehead. Figurehead. And this is an opportunity that I can show everyone there or whoever's part of the discussion, here's here's a chance that I can show them very publicly what this should like what the right way of viewing this. Instead of thinking, wow, I could also teach them how to do conflict right too. But I think he was, to me, it felt like he was focused on this one thing and neglected maybe the proper way of doing it.
1: Well, so here's what's funny about that. When I was writing it, I first approached it that way. And then we talked about this filter and I was like, this is, and this is what I love about that. This is the hard part about context. We don't know. And that's why these questions. So Derek and I were getting to the exact same point. And, and this is where sometimes the Bible can be difficult because everybody assumes, well, there's one right way to read Scripture. No, the context is the context. Yeah. And the context of whether or not Peter or Paul handled it correctly in that moment or he came back later. At first, I was like, I see this as I think he's actually being a little antagonistic. But I then think about how we often use this little, these verses as the, they're like, they're like coffee cup verses. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And we almost glorified And that's what made me go, I wonder if maybe this was, if this was Paul.
2: Post-conflict.
1: Post-conflict. Peter, here's what my issue was. And then he just tells the stories if it's one fell swoop. Much like in Jesus, we read Jesus, we only have small glimpses of Jesus' interactions with people. Paul framed the story how he wanted to and the Holy Spirit used it. Right? But I love that because it is possible that This was actually Paul, not in any better light, but actually
3: going, Peter, don't you realize we're all crucified in Christ? (laughs) And I'm sure, uh, to me, it's like in the moment, like he probably wasn't thinking either way. Yeah. But I think as you write it, it's like, if I were going to write something that I did, or if I'm going to even reflect or verbally tell the story of what happened, I, I could see how I would change the details to be like, when I'm trying to teach something. Yeah. And I do, it, I do it when I'm, up, when I'm preaching, where I'm like, ah, I told a story, but I told it from a, a perspective to give a point versus, yeah. yeah, was there some other elements of that story yeah. that may not have been the best? Yeah. yeah. Or is there other things you yeah. could have learned?
1: Absolutely.
3: It, it's
2: not like a news anchor's commentary of a thing. It's a, a, an apostle's teaching moment.
1: Everything is written through perspective. Yeah. So I remember in school, we talked about historic, historism versus actual history. Everything is written from a perspective, and your perspective is always skewed, including the author of Scripture. Because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean every word of their perspective is authored by Scripture or authored by the Holy Spirit. It just means that the Holy Spirit worked through it and conveyed the truths that God wants to convey. But Paul's still a human being, and he has his perspectives. And I'm sure it's quite possible that Paul, in his mind, felt he was completely justified, which is why last week I talked about when he goes to Galatians one. And it's almost like Paul's kind of spirit's been working in Paul. You should restore that brother or sister gently if they're caught
3: in sin. So this and week, I do. yeah, oh, sorry, ahead. and go I ahead. do see that like with their individual missions as well, like Peter being in Jerusalem with with like the with the Jews versus Paul going out with the Gentiles, like he has it it feels like his mission is so different that like he's using that moment to reinforce that mission he's yeah. on and i think that's that's another perspective of it yeah. too where it's like peter may not even been realizing what he was doing because that's not what was on his heart at the time yeah. but paul's like that's what i'm doing and so like i need to make sure that it is seen by peter by everyone yeah.
1: so so when paul goes into this he finally does his little sharing however he did it whether he did it in the moment and was still maybe kind of trying to prove Peter wrong, or he did it later. He talks about this idea of being justified by faith. And I remember, and we've talked about, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. I know I preached on it. Is for years, I was taught that the Pharisees and the Jews believed that you were saved by the law. And yet what we really see in Scripture and through history is that Jews never believed the law saved you. Jews always believed that as a Jew, you obeyed the law because you were a Jew. That's what separated you from everyone else. And one of my uh, favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, talks extensively about this, is that if we think that we believe in a works righteousness, well, the idea of works righteousness isn't in Paul's language at this time, wasn't that you were saved by the law, but rather that you were made right by the law. And those are two different things, because the Jews already believed they were God's people. But to be in a right relationship with God, not to keep their Jewish status, but to be in right relationship with the God who called them, you obeyed the law. Well, we believe the same thing as a Christian. We still, the difference is we now believe in the works of faith and that as a Christian, I have faith in Jesus, but I obey the commands of Jesus, not to be a Christian, but because I already am. And if I want to have a right relationship with God, even as a Christian, I still obey. But what justifies me what makes me right is not my obedience to the law; it's faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about this, and this is a big. I mean, there's whole books written on this whole topic, and it's a it's a word that we use in our culture, but we use poorly, yeah, or at least not poorly. We use it in the biblical understanding of this word justification is different than what we often yeah. mean by it's it.
2: It's not like our modern speech when we say like, "Oh, if you justify something," it's more often to uh, to um, make the cause of why you're doing something right. To be like, oh, well, I'm going to justify my actions yeah, to against make To it. make an excuse for it. To make an excuse for it. Thank you. Which really isn't what justified means in biblical context.
1: Yeah, it was originally a legal language. And, and so the idea was, and, and this is part of what N.T. Wright talks about, is that, you know, in Second Corinthians when it says, he who had no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, again, it makes it sound like we, we take on Jesus righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. We get the righteousness of Jesus. But it's possible that the idea of righteousness, God's righteousness, is actually his faithfulness. And how we demonstrate righteousness is by being faithful. That's, that's, what, that's what keeps us in right standing with God so that we're not in sin, so that I don't need to keep on. Like, for instance, of Megan. So if I go to Megan, right now Megan and I are in right relationship. We're still friends, but now let's say I sin against her. Does that mean that we're no longer friends? Not necessarily. But now let's say she's married, so her husband Jason, you get into a fight with him. Are you in right relationship at that moment? No, but are you still married? Yes. And so the the difference, and this is kind of the idea, is, is that for you, the only way you're going to work through that is either one, there has to be reconciliation, and you have faith in the work of marriage that, hey, we can work through this because we made a covenant. And that's the idea that Paul is really espousing. It's, it's our faith in Jesus that makes us right. It's not our actions that make us right. It's faith in Jesus that makes us right. Otherwise, one could say that, well, then, yeah, just become Jewish. Just be circumcised. Do all those things and you'll be fine. But the problem is, and this is from Romans, is that Paul says in, in Romans that the law actually can't save. It only reveals that you're always struggling in relationship with God.
2: I mean, it, it's like if you keep going with that marriage analogy where, you know, you're you're married and if you didn't know that adultery was wrong against your marriage, that that would cause harm. Yeah. And so you're just going out and doing that. The law of saying, no, you cannot be adulterous in this marriage. That's harmful to your marriage. Then you say, oh, OK, well, not only does it name it now, you're like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't realize. Sorry, I did that. And you can still go back into that right relationship. But it, it doesn't save your marriage yeah. to have the idea or the law say that something is wrong. It just calls it out and names it.
1: And we actually need that. I'm, I'm going to show a little bit of my, how much I watch television. So there's a show that I watch called SWAT. And it's based on the old 70s show, uh, 70s, 80s show. But there's a character in there who sexually wise, is uh, bisexual. And she gets into a throuple, which is a, a three-way couple where there's it's her and another woman and the man. And this whole thing, she talks about how this is a great relationship. It's so wonderful. And this is what love looks like. And I remember watching it going, oh, they're totally glorifying something. The Bible clearly says you don't do that, right? Well, then here's what happens. A few episodes in, all of a sudden the conflict happens. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. And well, but And here's the thing that even the world is not recognizing that, you know, yeah, you might think in the idea, I think it's right to have, I, I love is love. But the Bible says, no, marriage is between one woman, one man, and people can disagree on some of that. And I don't want to get into that. That's a different conversation. But here in this episode, very quickly, she starts experiencing jealousy. She starts experiencing all of a sudden this, what was supposed to be this perfect ideal utopian relationship where love is love. Now it's causing conflict. Well, why? Because you're not supposed to do that. She doesn't have, they're not living by God's word, but the consequences of that are very clear. Yeah. And now all of a sudden God's word comes out and says, hey, don't do that. Now you're without excuse. And that's what Paul says in Romans yeah. is the minute something becomes a law, you no longer have an excuse to say, I didn't know. So if you didn't know, let's say you grew up in an, a home where affairs were rampant Yeah. during the free love sixties, where the marriage was just a title. Or a
2: hippie commune.
1: Yeah, know. a hippie commune, right? Mm-hmm. But this is practical. Like you think everything's fine, but the minute you actually learn, that, well, that's not right, you're now accountable for that. And that's what the law did. The works of the law, the work of the law, the, the work that the law did, sorry, I just said that four different times, um, was to show our need for a Savior. The work of Christ is to actually be that Savior. And that's, that means that the
3: work of faith is faith in the, of who Jesus is and what He did to make us right so when i when I look at the Ten Commandments and law in general like i always i've always believed that when most rules I'm not saying all rules, but I think a lot of times when rules are put into effect it's there to protect somebody it's there to uh, those rules laws are, are it's not just I think we, we view the Ten Commandments as a negative a lot of times where it's like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And this is one thing I've not always been, even when I preach, so I've not always been positive about my confirmation experience. But one of the things I do remember from it is in Luther's small catechism, one of the things it, do, it did with all the t- commandments is it showed the negative. But then it added in the positive of what each one of these commandments did and how it protected somebody, that it it was meant as love towards either God or love towards your neighbor in some way. And I think we forget that. And then when you compare what the commandments are supposed to be doing yeah. versus how we truly live out our lives, I don't think there's anything that shows a need for a Savior more than that. Yeah. Of like, just, I don't know. Because, like yeah, you say do not murder, but it's like, no, that's that's a call to for kindness. It's a call for more than just don't kill your friend, don't kill your neighbor. It's it's a it's a something greater than that. And when you match that to like how we truly live, I think that shows us that we come up short. And that's that need for Jesus. That's that need for the, the Savior. And in the end, that's what that justification is all about. Is like you can't do it on your own. Like it's very, it's, it's very obvious just how we live our lives, even as Christians, where I continue to fail at it. And I think that's what that justification feeling is, is that idea of like, I don't need to be able to do it because Christ did it. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't change me. And that's where sanctification, that's yeah. where uh, new creation comes in, where I'm going to be changed through this process, transformed through it. Well, I think,
1: I think part of the problem we have is that we think the whole purpose of Jesus' death was just to deal with our sin. And when we look at that idea of being justified, and, and so the laws, for instance, the, the Ten Commandments, the first three are all about man's relationship to God. And then you have the next six, and it's, there could be 11 commandments, depending on how you break it down, or nine, depending on how you break it down. Um, but the next six are about how you treat your neighbor. And it's only the last one, which is the Sabbath, um, is the only one that is actually directly about you. The Sabbath, everything else is don't murder. Well, that's for other somebody. Don't steal. Don't covet. Like, yes, that benefits you, but it's really to protect other people. And the Sabbath is actually the one that's about you. It's about you loving yourself enough to rest in the Lord so that you can be the healthiest you can be. Out of all the commandments, every everyone is either directed in your relationship with God, your relationship with others, but that idea of Sabbath. And what's the one command that we're so quick to just dismiss? Mm-hmm. Well, act as if the Sabbath isn't holy. Murder, coveting. <laughs> Sorry, <kidding.
2: laughs>
1: but you don't make an like. You might go, I shouldn't covet it. But how quickly do we forget to Sabbath? And yet, that's the one that 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 was declared holy, because it is. It's the one that is about loving yourself. Remember, Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." And yeah, it's about loving God. But the purpose of the Sabbath is really a benefit for you.
2: You know, I'm thinking about a little bit of what Derek said and what you're saying, and we think. About these laws, we're, I'm skipping ahead a little bit of like there's the moral, civil, ritual, ceremonial. And we're talking about this concept of that. Um, there's proven psychology and practices for like gentle parenting. That's kind yeah. of a buzzword right now. This gentle parenting, um, you know, Gen X and Gen uh, millennials are like, oh, boomers were mean to us. We're going to be gentle parenting. And so part of this, though, of gentle parenting is having this idea of explaining why you're doing things, why this is a rule. That kids are so much more likely to, to step in line once they understand. You know, one of the Z Kids rules that we have is don't be mean. Do be kind. It's more than just a don't be mean to someone. Don't murder. It's the follow through action of now how do you live this yeah. out as a new creation, right? And it's this, this idea of being able to understand the whys of things. And I think that we do that pretty well. Here at Zion with our ministries, your sermons and things like that, of explaining the whys when we talk about uh, the law, of why this was a thing. And I have this like thought while we're talking about this. Okay. You know, when we have these ceremonial laws and it's like, don't eat certain things and don't do certain things. And we think of the context of when these laws came, like they didn't have moder- modern day way to keep food clean or keep food um, safe and things like this. Like a lot of these laws probably really did come from a necessity to stay healthy, right?
1: Yeah. So there are, there, there is a theological thought, a position who thinks that here was the, here's the, the counter to that. And it could be right, but they didn't understand germs and some of that was God protecting them. The bigger issue that we see is so all the purity laws, and, and this is where some of our problem comes in. Uh, I'll use, and I'm going to be graphic intentionally, so please hear my heart in this. I'm not just bringing it up to bring it up. Um, Is it a sin for a woman to menstruate? Sure. No. God created the body to do that. It's the sloughing loss of the inner lining of the uterus. Um, It's the loss of life, right? And some people say, well, I can't believe that. Why Why is that a sin? Why is she unclean? Because according to Jewish law, according to Leviticus, she's now impure. Now, we think of impure as dirty, as defiled, as sinful, right? but what does that loss of blood represent in the world well when you lose an egg it means death and god is a god of life not a god of death okay i'm going somewhere with the food stuff okay i promise there's a connection yes it's possible that this was about medical purposes that god was protecting them but here's what we know we know that other cultures were eating pork and not dying from pork so is or How about the mixed fibers? And I hear this all the time when issues of sexuality, because they'll bring this up. I can't believe how twisted the Bible is that a woman menstruates and she's considered unclean and she has to go outside of the camp for seven days. Well, the purpose isn't because she's unclean sinfully. It's that what's happening in her is a reminder that we live in a fallen world and that death is not supposed to be part of God's economy. And so holiness can't have death near it, which is why the death of Jesus is so important. Well, now when it comes to food, the Jews are supposed to be separate from other cultures. Well, what do other cultures do that God tells the gen- the Jews not to do to, to separate them? Well, why, why not mix fibers? Originally, it was because, well, if you put two different fibers together, when you wash them, they stretch, and then they tear apart. Actually, there's not a lot of evidence that that was the primary reason. That more, it was meant to be a physical demonstration of mixing. And so Israel's supposed to be pure so they don't get messed up, not genetically, theologically. Racism came in because it became about genetics yeah. or ethnicity, but it was really about you marry in, and you've got to remember in the ancient world, everybody had false gods. Everybody had gods. That's how the world existed. You understood the world through gods. So now a Jew marries a Mesopotamian and let's say she believes in the, uh, uh, the person they marry believes in the god Baal. Well, now they bring those that relationship, that false religion into Judaism. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. And so God says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you physical reminders of how you're supposed to be separate from the world. You don't eat food like they do. They eat pigs. Don't eat pigs. Is it that pigs are wrong? No, it's more of what the pig represents. The pig represents a culture that is not Jewish. Um, Same thing with the mixed fibers. Hey, keep things pure because I'm trying to remind you, you need to be pure. And when you don't, if you touch a dead animal or if you menstruate or if Uh, A man expels semen. These are all biblical things, okay? So this isn't being gross. This is all Leviticus. This is life being lost, and we serve a God of life. So we, we have to mourn that, and that's really what's supposed to take place. So now, and this is why it matters, why did Peter separate? What Peter did is he now took a physical separation, and he thought the impurity of the Gentiles meant they were evil instead of the fact that they just were not in a right relationship with God and they were unclean, meaning that they, they did not have the blood of atonement that took place at the sacrifice. They did not have circumcision. They weren't in relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, yes, there were maybe some scientific benefits, health benefits. But I think the bigger thing you see is a God who's constantly telling Israel, Guys, you are my people. Be my people. Be devoted to me. Going back to an affair. Why do you think God keeps on calling Israel basically a harlot? At one point, he says, You're chasing after any, you're like, you're chasing after other, other religions like a mare in heat. I mean, that's graphic illustration. The Bible's super graphic. <laughs> but this is why Peter, the reason why he moves over is he knows that his Jewish brothers think that with him eating there, he's going to be unclean because now, his, this is where the racism comes in. Gentiles are not unclean because of their religion, they're unclean because they're wrong, not their beliefs. And that's when Gentiles come to Christ, and why God gives that vision to Peter in Acts chapter 10, I think it is. Don't call unclean what God has called clean. Why can we yeah. eat pig now? It's not that pig got any cleaner. <laughs> yeah. It's just now that we have this freedom.
2: And is that kind of where we see Paul saying that sinful Gentiles yes. sarcastically, of like he's addressing that viewpoint that
1: Peter had? And then he's saying, We're all sinful. You're a Jew, and actually, you're more sinful. This is Romans chapter 2. My favorite. Favorite thing in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, right? Romans chapter 1 is all about how wicked and evil the Gentiles are. Romans are that they're perverse, they're twisted, they make up evil. And then the very first verse in Romans chapter 2 is, so what's your excuse? They didn't have the law. They didn't know that it was wrong to chase idols or to do all these things. You have God's word and you still do it. Yeah. And so Paul, and this comes us back to, obviously we can't be justified, made right by the law. Because all the law did is it reminded Derek what a sinner he is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Derek's nodding his head, just Derek. Nobody else here. Is just Derek. No, it reminds all of us. Um, I wanna I wanna get to that, that Hebrews 10 verse because one of the things that I see in the church, and I'm curious, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Megan, especially as someone who's passionate about missions. Okay. Kate, for someone who works with kids and is passionate about kids coming to Christ, Derek someone who's passionate youth, but also in your own discipleship and the things that are going on there. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about all the things that God does, that Jesus did so that we can enter into the high place, right? And then he goes into this, uh, I think it's verse 24. After saying, because of Jesus, the blood of Christ, we're now all clean. We now all can pull back the curtain, which is temple language. The curtain is what separated God from the people. Now everybody can enter into the Holy of Holies to meet with Jesus. And we have full assurance, meaning we don't have a doubt in our mind. I don't question whether or not I'm saved because I know I have faith in Jesus. I don't wrestle. I'm not sitting there going, man, I hope I make it. No, I know I will because my faith is in Christ. But then he goes on to this next part, and this is verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deed. This is connected to what Jesus has done for us. So faith in Jesus should then lead us to spurring on. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, and that word capital D day is referring to the day of judgment, when we're going to all stand before Christ. So here's my question. Why do you think it's so easy for us to want to separate good deeds from our being justified in faith? And here's why I think about this from a missions perspective. If you're doing missions to earn salvation, you miss the point. What is is our faith in Jesus? How should that call us into mission? Now, you focus mostly on global, but it's also local. So I'd love to hear each of your thoughts on how does that play out? How do you do that with kids? How do you do that in missions? How do we make sure that faith is the driving force? Faith is the, the fuel, that propellant that moves us forward, not the deed. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I don't know if this fully answers your question, but I was reminded just in this verse um, there's a prayer group for anyone and everyone that wants to be a part of it with all things dealing with Peru. And so Bethania will toss in there things upcoming and going on for the week and things that she's struggling with, things that the church is struggling with, things that have gone well. It's kind of just a, a daily update. And then people will respond back with prayers, words of encouragement. And to me, it's that big picture of the big capital C church. Um, you, we we can't necessarily always meet in Peru or get together, but we're getting together over yeah. text and encouraging saying you can do this, you got this, bringing up Bible verses to help encourage or remind that she isn't the only one that has ever been through this and here's what yeah. someone in the Bible did. It's that encouraging and building each other up because of the bigger picture.
1: And what's the danger for individuals? Because I, I, I've seen this a lot. People who think that by doing a mission trip, they get to check off a merit badge. Like, I did this thing for God. I went on a mission trip for a week. Like how do you How do you encourage them to realize that, no, we're... We're missionaries everywhere we go. That this just because you did this one thing doesn't mean that you've now figured it all out, but rather that's this that should be something we should all be doing, mm-hmm. whether it be local or global. How do you how do you encourage that or work them through that?
0: I guess it's not even about you. <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah, you can go anywhere in the world and do a mission trip, but it, what's important is not actually at all what you do or bring to the table. So it's not about
1: your experience, no,
0: at all, and it's about helping, encouraging, yeah. being there, living out your faith, showing them what that looks like, sharing your testimony, who Jesus is in you, that's what's important. And that is what missions is all about, yeah. sharing Jesus, not digging a well.
1: Have you have you encountered this? In, and I've had friends that have gone on mission trips and they think they're coming to bring something and they end up getting something. Oh, and-
2: uh, that's yeah. what I was going to say. I really loved it. Um, the only mission trips I've ever gone on has been with Megan. And I really loved the way that she made it very clear every time when she led these trips that we're not coming to fix something. We're not the hero We're not a hero. This, like, white savior complex that you're coming in with is not always really, that's not what we're doing here. And um, I remember talking about we were going to go to Peru this night. It would have been, I think, my third time Um, And we were thinking of bringing this group together. And Megan was very intentional of, okay, so what is our purpose here? What are we coming with? And making sure that it's not just coming in as a vacation under the guise of I'm going to come in and teach you something. Yeah. You know, how can we encourage? How can we lift up? How can we come alongside? What can we learn from them? That was one of my favorite things when you brought us to do VBS. And we partnered with their kids' ministry, and we saw how they were able to do. I still operate in this way. I learned so much from their kids' ministry. Kayla is one of my very favorite people in Peru. Um, I hope she's listening. Maybe not. It's English. Maybe she can't. (laughs) But anyway, we learned how they could do so much with so little, how they were such amazing stewards, and they could do incredible things in children's ministry with very little room, very little Um, resources. And I still operate that way. I mean, I'm a guy for whatever I need to for my object lessons. And I learned that from there. And I thought that was really So
1: they spurred you on. to, And that word spur literally means goad. It's that idea of kicking a horse on the side to get it to move. Because I think what what Hebrews is telling us, whoever wrote it, is it's not natural for us to actually want to do good things. Our tendency is to get comfortable and do as little as possible. How about you, Derek? How about for youth and for kids? How do you help them understand that we don't do these things to earn faith or to earn salvation, but rather they shouldn't actually flow out of us?
3: Yeah, I'm going to answer it differently. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that setup, though. I, I I honestly believe that, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to the garden. I feel like when we, when when humanity was walking in the garden with God, like there was such a connection. There was such a, our identity being found in Him. And I think as soon as the fall happened, I think it, it caused an identity crisis within yeah. humanity. And I think we are playing that out today. Still, all these thousands of years later, I think it is still happening today where we are looking so much for finding an identity in something, yeah. finding value in something. And, and I think you see it in, I don't know if it's just because we want to approve, our, we want approval from our, our dad. We want approval from our parents, from our teachers, from our coaches, from our from whoever, dear. whoever, yeah, whoever it might be. And I think even as Christians, I, and I, I think I preached on this once. I believe that every single Christian or most Christians probably know that their good works doesn't get them to heaven. But I believe most Christians act like it does. And I think that, that, that that's the reality of it is I think we're trying to fill a, a piece that's missing that goes all the way back to the garden, and the only way we know how as humanity is we have to earn it. That and that's coming value. up in next week in Galatians 3. Yeah, and that there's yeah, value. What you're in, preaching. There's value in that. And so to me, that's how I, Like you have to understand that it's, it's a, I think it's a, a a huge issue that affects Every human. Now it might look differently. It might affect missions differently. It might affect kids differently. It might affect youth differently. But it's the core problem or issue or emotion there. I think is the same for everyone. Uh, so how do you get people to, to to realize that? I think it's just you have to continually to remind them that uh, that it's not about what you do, and if and that's a good thing. Yeah. Because if it was about what we did, we would all be in trouble, especially me. I would definitely <laughs> be in trouble. And that, to me, that you have to point to the, to the character and nature of who Jesus is, who God is. And I think that's the only way to view it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it, it's going to be, it's going to f- go flat, I think. You I know? would
2: agree with that with kids. Yeah. Where it's like that repetition. That's how you teach them something, right? And we are like children, that childlike faith. Sometimes that childlike faith needs constant reminders of the things that our head knowledge is but maybe our bodies and our emotions or actions have a hard time catching up i would totally reaffirm that
1: which is i think part of the reason why in in hebrews is one of my favorite books Um, he talks about like we we are we because of jesus we have access and we can draw near to god with a sincere heart and a full assurance of our faith um, because jesus has declared us clean it's not about what, what we do but then we have to then we have to move into good deeds. And that should flow out of the out. It's the output. Yeah. It's the natural output, our outpouring of what's going on in our life. And I think part of the danger, part of the difficulty, maybe danger is not the right word. Part of the difficulty is that sometimes we're so focused on the love of God that we forget that love is supposed to be tangible. Love does, Bob Goff. Yeah, there's your Bob Goff. Hey, okay, I have a new plan. Our new plan is not Bob Goff if you're listening. It's, hey, listeners, if you're listening, forward this to Bob Goff. Yeah, let's just
2: flood (laughs) Bob Goff and his team with our love.
1: (laughs) They're going to get a restraining order. Yeah,
2: sorry.
1: Don't include me. I still don't
3: know who he is. (laughs) love
2: days. It's totally relevant to what we're talking about.
1: So, okay, last last part of this text in Galatians chapter 2, he talks about that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then that ultimately this idea of um, everything I am dies with Jesus. Now, Paul, again, is talking in response to Peter. And here he's saying, Peter, your old racist views of believing that Gentiles were unclean because they didn't have the law, that died with Christ. This whole idea that the way to stay in a good relationship, to stay in the fold with God was through the law, that died with Christ. As a Christian, every part of us dies on the cross with Jesus. And that's so much easier said than done. Let's just be honest. It's it's one of those verses that I, I strive to do. I strive to daily be crucified with Christ. Um but it's my desires and my wants. It's not just my sin. The things that I have. How would you encourage people that are listening or that are working through, what's part of your process? Because I think I daily have to remind myself, okay, Jason, this is what you want. Is this what God wants? How do I crucify that?
2: I think that I really loved your David Platt um, quote as well in that focus that David Platt has on surrender. And I think for me, Um, I jokingly say quite often that my salvation is still pretty close to me Um, chronologically like it's it wasn't that long ago Uh, 2016 so having that still be so tangible to me and it was it was quite the conversion for me where sometimes not everyone has that experience and I know my experience isn't universal but for me that surrendering and remembering that and being like, oh yeah, I need to surrender. I'm not in charge here. You know, finding, finding faith and accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior means understanding that he is Lord and you need saving. What does that really mean? It means that I need to be able to die to myself. My life did not get easier when I accepted Jesus into my heart. It got much harder. And what was part of that of being hard was dying to myself. I yeah. gave up everything, everything of how I knew how to live and interact on my friends and my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I gave that all up willingly, lovingly, but it was hard. And it, it's hard to walk from that and to remember that's what I need to remember. Now, like Kate Hoppel, six years later, has a very different lifestyle. And I complain about the silliest things. And it's like, well, do you remember yourself six years <laughs> ago and how? those drastic changes that you made, you know she'd kick your butt right now for complaining yeah. about these things that you used to pray for you know yeah. and so still remembering that surrender, oh yeah I need to surrender I'm not Lord here that helps me yeah.
3: What helps me is I don't know I can't remember the exact verse, but I, I there's several that kind of that kind of gives off this this mentality of, you know, if we're going to be crucified with Christ, then we are going to be resurrected with Christ as well. That, yeah, that, yeah. The, if you if you think of the crucified part, like man, that's scary. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only if you only go off of what this verse is saying, it's kind of scary. But if you uh, apply it to what where it's said in other parts of Scripture, is that you know we will we will live with him, with Him. Like we will be a part of that. We'll be resurrected. There's like three or four other ones, yep. but like they all give this terminology. you baptized in his
1: death. You are resurrected in his, with this. Yep. yep. And
3: so to me, that's what I lean on is that idea of like, yeah, this is the necessary part. It may not always be the fun part, but. <laughs> well, the so. crucifying is not the fun part. And
1: I think nope. that's what you just alluded to. And Jesus wasn't like, yay, the cross. Like Jesus was stressed out about the cross. Yeah, it's
0: like cross. sweating blood. <laughs> well,
1: and, and, yeah, Megan.
0: I just think that idea of a crucifixion or a death is actually like the key part in this because i think back to the ten commandments of these are the don't do's these are the sins and if i Mm -hmm. commit one of those sins how easy it is to do that there's always a root cause behind it and that's where the guilt the shame those feelings the jealousy it's because i have those things that's why i committed a sin in the first place and so without Jesus coming to take away my guilt, my shame, my jealousy, there is I'm just still left with, why do I keep doing this? Yeah. So if I can look at my neighbor, I don't necessarily ever covet my neighbor's donkey, but I do covet their <laughs> clothes or their house or their other motor their other transportation, things, their family style, whatever it is, and it's not nece- I have to identify what is the root cause. Yeah. Why am I coveting? oh, it's because I'm jealous. Jesus died for that. There's a crucifixion. There is bloodshed. That is covered. I am clean. I don't have to feel that way. Move on. So (laughs) one one
1: of the things that helped me to kind of think through, and I'm, I'm still doing it. When I first got married, I went from bachelor Jason, who only had to think about himself, whose time was only really his self's, to now all of a sudden my time wasn't my own. And I had to crucify my old self in Genesis when it says the two become one flesh. There's a spiritual mingling of the soul that takes place there. But literally when you are crucified with Christ, you now become one with Christ. And that means you're, it's no longer just about you. And I, I think about one of our first fights because, again, I didn't know how to be married. And a lot of people when they first become Christians don't know how to be united with Christ. Yeah. And that's normal. Like yeah. no one should be shocked when a brand new believer or someone who's been a believer for a few years still is doing certain sins like hate to tell you you get saved it doesn't mean everything gets figured out it's just now you know who your model is and so you constantly have to look to that model so Lisa and I got into a fight because I remember and I still remember it I told her I was going to go to guitar center and I'd be back in an hour four hours later I come strolling in and she's furious I'm like why are you upset what's the big deal you said you'd be home an hour ago or after an hour and I'm like it's but she's been, been four hours and I'm like So you knew where I was. She's like, but you didn't communicate. Because in my mind, I was still functioning like a bachelor whose time belonged to him.
2: Yeah, you don't have to answer it anyway.
1: That's right. And now all of a sudden, I had to crucify. I had to die. That old Jason of who I was had to die so that I could be married, Jason. And I'm still doing that. Like, I think about how many times, and with this human nature, again, we're not born married. We don't know what it's like to belong to another person. Well, now we belong to Christ. And that crucifixion of crucifying our flesh has to happen daily. And there are still things that I'm like, God, do you really need that? <laughs> can't can't I just keep this thing? And they're not always sins. Sometimes they're just desires or wants or things that I think are important. Um. So here's how I want to end this, okay? So if, if there was one part of this, when you think about the benefit of following Jesus, because it's a, we've been talking a lot about crucifixion, What's on the other side of the resurrection in your becoming the new self? If you could leave one part, one point of encouragement for everybody listening, what makes it worth it?
2: Yeah. I love how Pastor Derek said about the new creation. Because that's, that's, the, that's the, the next step of, you know, yeah, it, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to, oh, yeah, die to self. Ugh, that's miserable language. But then you get to walk in that new life, that new creation that you say I don't have to live this way. I don't have to be jealous. I don't have to be shame filled. Yeah. I can leave that down at His feet, and I can trust Him with that. I can wholly trust Him with that. Lay, it's you know, I always think to myself like, I can lay it down at His feet at you know ten o'clock at night when I go to bed, and, and if I feel like picking it up in the morning, then I can always pick it right back up. He doesn't take it. He doesn't hide it from me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, He just. He has space for it. It's infinite amount of space for me and my my desires and the way that I used to be. And I can just leave it there. And I find that more often I'd rather spend time with him, the Holy Spirit, you know, be best friends with the Holy Spirit and have that right relationship than I want any of that. Yeah. I don't want that anymore. The desire is gone. It's so like ash in her mouth. It changed the yeah. desire yeah. eventually. And it's not overnight. And you have to... You know, our bodies don't always catch up. Sometimes we said that. You yeah. know, and it's like you need to have that habit and that relationship and spending time, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't remember the last time I wanted to pick that up anymore.
1: Yeah. How about you guys? Yeah.
0: I think it's the encouragement piece that belonging to the Christian faith or a church when you fall short. So many times, which happens all the time, you realize that oh, everyone else does too. <laughs> that just because I'm a Christian doesn't make me perfect, and that's comforting to come to a place over and over again to receive that encouragement of like, no, keep going, you're doing great. Yeah. I've yeah. been there, I understand, I know what you're going through, keep pressing on, it's worth it, and it is. But without that camaraderie, mm-hmm. without that relationship with others, you don't always necessarily get that. Um, so I think that's why i don't jesus sets up this model of you're in this together yeah Encourage so it's the community encouragement thinking, yeah
3: yeah how about you dear i think mine goes a lot with what kate was saying i think that 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 shame that anger that loss of identity that all dies on the cross with with jesus and i think what that allows is everything that in our past that pulled that separation that pulled us away from god you know, with Jesus' death on the cross, it allows us to be reunited. It re- allows us to go back into oneness, wholeness. Uh, if you want an image, back into the garden, whatever, whatever, it is, however it is you want to look at it. I think that's the hope. That's the that's the what the transformation is, turned, the new creation is leading towards. And so, to me, that's that's the other side. And yeah, here on earth, we're still going to struggle. We're still going to. Uh, I like to view baptism, that we have to live it out daily, that we have to... It's the best visual of like our sinful selves dunking in the water and then coming up clean. I think we have to do that daily, and I think we have to live it out daily, but then eventually when Jesus returns, it will be fulfilled. So, yeah, those are awesome.
1: Um, I think for me, the fact that I have a relationship with God is... I think that's the part for me. It's like, I actually... It's not just talking and I don't know how to explain it all the time. that knowing that I I have the Spirit in me and I see the evidence of the Spirit. Like I look at who I was and who I am now and I look at friends who are not Christian and somewhere along the way our paths went different directions and I think the only thing that really kept me in step it's not because I'm better, it's that I've got this relationship with God and I've got the Spirit in me who keeps on bringing me back. And I, I, I don't, I really don't believe I would have, I would be who I am or where I am today if it not been for Jesus and His forgiveness and grace. Well, hey guys, so good! I'll, I'm so grateful that all of you guys were on today. Hey, thank you so much for tuning to the Breakthrough Breakdown. Uh, tune in next week. Oh, and then also we got our special episode coming up with Gary Berg. Burg I always say this, I go. We have too many. Al Alberg. Gary Burge. Um, we'll be doing his Q and A from the questions that we had on Sunday. Will be coming out here soon. I'm Jason. I'm Kate. Eric. And Megan. Have an awesome day.
0: Thank you for listening to The Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of The Breakthrough Breakdown.